Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators. Brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Hello, everyone, from the headquarter of CDTM in Munich. I'm Ellie from Class of Fall 19, and next to me is Easy from Class of Spring 20. Hi. And we are the hosts of the upcoming episodes of the CDTM podcast, where world-class entrepreneurs and leaders exclusively share stories about their successes and setbacks. We are very pumped to finally kick it off. And I'd say uh, let's reveal our first guest, Easy. Definitely. So for our first episode, we invited Hanno Renner, the co-founder and CEO of Personio. Personio is an HR management software for SMEs that digitizes the entire lifecycle of employees. Hanno started Personio with his three co-founders in 2015 and is now midway towards becoming a unicorn. Meet the young German entrepreneur Hanu and learn from him about why he co-founded Personio and why he discontinued his prior startup idea. How he set up Personio from scratch for rapid growth and steers his team also in uncertain times like the corona crisis. And finally, you will find out which tools helped him to become the leader that he is today. So let's jump right into the conversation we had with him. Hi, Hanno. Great to have you as CDTM alumni on Mostly Awesome today. Now, Personia is growing fast despite COVID-19, made it also on the list of Europe's most promising startups to soon achieve unicorn status. But let's take a step back. You once said that getting into the HR field with Personio came to you by surprise. So tell us, what is actually your dream job as a child? Um, yeah, hi. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, my dream job as a child, I think there were different dreams at different times as with most children. For a fair amount of time, I wanted to be a pilot uh, after reading the book Catch Me If You Can, which is the book which the film was based on, which also, uh, I don't know the, the English term for Scheckbetrüger, uh, but that also was, was something I, I was considering after that, but that was a dream early on. And then I thought about politics at some point in my life as well. Ah, so when did you then know, hey, I don't want to become a pilot nor go into politics, but that you actually want to start your own company? Yeah, I actually got motivated to start an own company after my first stint abroad. I spent some time in New Zealand and afterwards was traveling. And when I was out of all places in Hawaii, I met a friend there playing beach volleyball and kind of became quite good friends with him. And he after started his own company. And just kind of following that, and I'm coming from a parents of both being teachers, so I didn't have any insights into entrepreneurship before. But seeing him starting that company really motivated me and interested me. That uh, was also what triggered me to apply for CDTM, the next to my master's. And then at CDTM, seeing other companies being founded there from alumni, including Stylite from The four guys there was what triggered me in really building a company where I would personally enjoy working and have the ability to create a similar environment as I was enjoying studying and working on projects at CDCM. Mm -hmm. And how did you then come up with the idea for Personio? We were decided that we wanted to start a company at the time and worked on, on different projects during the time at CDCM as well. And I think the two things that, that matter to me, the one I just mentioned around building a company where I would enjoy working myself in and where I could build an environment that's really exciting for a lot of people that are driven by impact themselves. 
But secondly, I wanted to find a space where you could, with technology, truly solve a real problem that hasn't been solved before. So instead of trying to find a market where you can make money online, rather find a problem that's hard and that can be solved with technology. And that we found uh, with Personio um, through a friend that was a CTM alumni who was CTO at a business in Russia before 100 people and he kind of discovered the problem firsthand and that's how, how we kind of learned about the problem and understood that this is one which is worth pursuing, especially after learning for how many companies this is a problem and how underpenetrated the market in that space is today still, but even more so four years ago. And Perzunio is growing as fast as Salesforce at the time. Why do you think Perzunio scaled this quickly? A mixture of things. I think one of the first most important things And that's for every company, but including Personio, that gets to a certain amount of success is around timing. Uh, similar how if Spotify would have been founded four years earlier, they probably would never be successful. Same with four years later. And it was the same for Personio. So we were quite lucky that we happened to come to that problem and that idea around the time when HR started to get digitized for the SME space. Yeah, not too early, not too late. I think secondly, because there were other companies uh, in a similar space started at the time, It also is a lot about ambition. So we've early on created the BHAG, even being a very small company, to become the European leader. Um, that was one of the first uh, things we established back in 2016. Even though you can't really craft that uh, ambition at the time, even though it's hard to understand what that means and how to get there, it just kind of constantly allows you to think bigger and, and also steer the team towards that. And then thirdly, it was just a lot of hard work involved early on and, and still is today. But, but I think while it was more hard work from us founders individually, it over time just became also the success and the effort of the broader team and then hiring, uh, bringing together a great group of people is certainly the biggest success factor for any company, including Personia. Talking about hiring or um, leading a company, how did you develop yourself into the leader that you are today, considering that your role has changed tremendously from operational to strategic thinking over the last five years? When it comes to founding a company, there's pretty much nothing that prepares you as well as founding a company. Of course, doing it again, which would be even easier because then you've gone through these problems again. While, while there are certainly things you, you learn from working before and having had leadership positions before, a lot of the stuff uh, from being a CEO, you just have to develop on the go anyway. And therefore, I think it actually helped to come a bit fresh-minded right out of university and just eager to, to learn and develop. And I think the one thing which you in this role, and especially if you're a first-time founder, have to be comfortable with, but I really uh, happen to, to enjoy, luckily, is uh, constantly being thrown into cold water and constantly having to be in a position where you're, where you're not fully comfortable, where you don't really fully know what to do. But that, of course, gives you a very steep learning curve. That means change with other people, learn from other people, had some mentors, had, have been reading some books. Uh, but, but I think all of that is only complementary to actually doing it, to failing on some things and to learning them along the way. Mm -hmm. And what books specifically helped you on the leadership topic? So I think one book I, I really liked um, is uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things from Ben Horowitz, uh, which I feel is one of the few books which doesn't explain you, this is the perfect way of doing it, but it's more of a <laughs> there's a lot of things that, that will fuck up over time and that will be really hard. And these are ways how you can make them less shit. Another one I would definitely recommend is Radical Candor. If you read the title of that book, 
you essentially have understood the whole concept. That said, or like if you read the cover, that said, to really understand the concept, re reading that book and reading all the repetition that are in there are really helpful. And I, I personally believe uh, it's a really important leadership style to develop. Mm. I haven't heard about it yet, but uh, that book definitely goes onto my reading list then. Mm, regarding your first book recommendation, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Now, 2020, let's face it, it was quite remarkable for hard times, making tough decisions. So I'm really curious, what were three key learnings you made this year during COVID-19 while still growing Personio? One of the biggest learnings I had this year was around different level of which people are able and willing to to accept uncertainty and as an founder entrepreneur you're constantly in a in an environment of uncertainty and you're constantly in this environment where, where a lot of things are mm -hmm. especially in the future are uncertain and that's why you have to be quite comfortable with it but it's also something which i, I quite quite like and, and, uh, and enjoy however in a, in a company uh, of, of our size by now i think for a lot of people that they, they they don't like having that uncertainty so Uh, they want uh, want to understand uh, where we go, and of course, in a pandemic, where not even the, the the best scientists know exactly how things will turn out and how things will develop, it's not easy to take away that uncertainty. However, I think as a leader of a company, you can do quite a lot of things to still use uncertainty for people, and it starts a lot with transparency by sharing a lot of things with the team. And we've we always had since 2015 when we were three people uh, started doing a weekly all-team all meeting every Friday afternoon. And we've during uh, the corona and the first lockdown started with, with Monday morning kickoffs in addition so to, to be really in touch with people and to share any updates we had about when we need to do in home office, how we have to go about cost saving, how it develops our, our burn rate and our growth. And being very transparent both on, on the impacts we're seeing and what we're having, but also by how will we make decisions going forward, which uses a lot of uncertainty and gives people confidence by saying, look, we're now growing a bit uh, slower, uh, but our burn rate is still high. And to put it in sync, we have to do these cost savings. And if we then grow faster, we'll reduce them again. And that gives a framework for people to understand based on which metrics, based on which developments you will take decisions. And that, I think, was the biggest learning that you can reduce that uncertainty by giving confidence even in an uncertain time. Uh, I was wondering how the Monday morning kickoffs look like specifically. So how do you go about them? Yeah, so back during, uh, during the first lockdown, I just mentioned that, uh, with all these uncertainties, of course, there was always new developments where we could react on, especially also with, the, we have now four offices in London, Dublin, Madrid and Munich. Every city was different, so I would be reading news, would be understanding how the developments are and the uh, local requirements in regards to opening, closing offices and uh, explaining teams, different different concepts and so on. So there was a lot of just updates of things that would happen and and, uh, and decisions we took and how we're, we're going to plan to reopen or not the office and these kind of things. We then realized that it was so beneficial that we at some point towards the end of the first lockdown switched it in what we now call Metrics Monday. So every Monday, uh, one of, uh, of uh, one member of the executive team um, shares an update of, of their area with a couple of metrics and explains uh, them why these metrics are important, how they're changing, but then also afterwards gives an overview over the key metrics for the business overall. And hence, again, fostering that transparency about exactly where we stand on revenues and on some of the other important metrics uh, like NPS, but also then giving some context on some more specific ones individually. Ah, such a great idea to start a Metrics Monday. 
Now, moving a bit away from Pezunio to you personally, what our audience is sure curious to know is how do you manage to successfully run a fast-growing startup and be a passionate triathlete on the side? So how do you structure your day to find the time for both? So I think everyone has 24 hours in a day. I, I have that too. And I don't think you should cut back too much on sleep, uh, given the importance. By the way, another really good book is Why We Sleep. Um, so if you not cut back on, on sleep and you sleep seven and a half hours, then there's around 16 and a half hours left, of which, given that I don't have family or relationship, I combine that into working, doing sports and meeting friends. Uh, once a, a day, I try to do sports either in the morning before work, quite often, uh, most days in the week. And then sometimes also in the evening or at weekends. Uh, this is one of the, the most important ways for me to keep balanced. But also I can combine it a lot by meeting uh, close friends of mine and therefore mostly doing sports together. So then do you plan your next day the evening before? Yeah, so my, my sports appointments are, are very fixed. They're, they're every week the same. There's Monday morning, a friend is showing up for, for a run. Tuesdays is yoga. Wednesdays is running again. Then tennis on Thursday and, and cycling on Friday and these two things are quite fixed and these are recurring. What I tried to implement recently is getting up a bit earlier in the mornings and then the morning routine includes some meditation, includes some stretching uh, prior to the sport and includes some journaling and in, within the journaling bit I also then try to, to plan the, uh, the day ahead. When it comes to the day ahead in between, uh, I've now luckily have an amazing assistant who, who helps me schedule that day and pray, uh, make sure that, that all the, the things are uh, according to priorities put in order. Um, so that's, that's typically quite, quite organized already. But yeah, around that, I use my calendar just to, to combine and also plan uh, social time with friends ahead of time and block it in my calendar. You were talking about meditation and journaling, which is also something we at the CTM have as courses. And I would be really interested in knowing how you go about your meditation and also about your journaling. Is there a framework you're following or is it more like free floating? Um, yeah. So from meditation, I use Headspace uh, and uh, just go okay. through, mm -hmm. through different courses. I often also use the, the going to sleep meditation as a, like a reflection bit on mm -hmm. the day. Um, when it comes to journaling, I have a journal from, it's called Best Self, um, uh, and uh, it there's some structure in there, uh, which I also use to kind of reflect on the day and, and kind of plan ahead, um, and this, this, this describes what you're grateful for and so on, but there's also uh, per day one free page, uh, which is a bit more just for me to, to note down thoughts, feelings, uh, things that happen, stuff that uh, I might want to come back to. That's a bit more, so it's a mixture between one part really structured and one part a bit more free-floating. Free okay, so from managing your time or your day to how you manage your diet reports, that means your management board. I'm wondering how short do you keep the leash as CEO to stay on top of the business? I, I wouldn't, I don't think uh, the keeping the leash is a, is a good thing as a company and that doesn't matter where, whether people direct reporting into me or anyone else in the business where we have an organizational structure to keep the kind of focus on the, the development also of individuals. I don't think they, they should be seen as, as a very high hierarchical zone. Uh, so the people on uh, the reported to me from my executive team are my peers that have a different function and role and I have a different function, but it's not about, uh, about keeping a leash, uh, but it's about me helping them with, with their challenges, helping them with their development. And on the other hand, 
getting the insights and learnings from their areas and areas of the function uh, they're responsible for, which I then can uh, put together. And as I'm leading the entire executive team plus the entire company, of course, can make sense of, of these, these overarching things, which I believe is sort of the, the key role of the CEO. Um, when it comes to how uh, I work with my direct reports, uh, I have weekly one-on-ones with everyone, and there's a, a rolling Google doc as an agenda where they uh, pre-fill uh, always a section which we then use for asynchronous uh, updates. So I read that update before, and so I'm, I'm already briefed about the most important stuff, and we don't have to waste time in the meeting of, of me learning about certain updates. And then there's an agenda which is pre-filled uh, by both sides uh, of, of topics where we which we want to discuss face-to-face, where we also then note down certain decisions and, and discussion items, and that's what I do with, with all my uh, direct reports. On, uh, in addition, uh, we then have an, uh, an executive and a management team weekly um, uh, once per week. And uh, in those, we, we discuss stuff broader as a team, but also have the same element of an asynchronous part of the beginning of the meeting where people write their updates, which everyone then reads silently through in the beginning of the meeting, ask some questions, and then we're, we're up to date. Okay, so a majority of the updates is asynchronous versus synchronous. Yeah, everything that's just everything that's just an, an update, we try to do asynchronous because it's a lot faster for both sides, um, and it, and it uh, then saves the valuable time during the meeting. Um, and I'm already can come prepared, and I have a block in my calendar ahead of any one on one, which I can use to prepare for that and read through the updates. Mm-hmm. And how do you and your co-founders deal with the media's attention focusing mainly on you? Um, yeah, I think it's a good question. I think it's something that often happens quite often uh, in companies that, of course, media likes to pick uh, one person and put them very much in the center. And I think in a way it's the role of the CEO to or to, to represent a company to the outside to do that uh, media relations and PR work and thereby also shield others from that distraction. On the other hand, of course, it does come with the outside stairs that has less visibility for others that do just an important job. And that's um, like, I think, on if you look at a broader team, uh, both uh, Roman Asenia uh, from on the co-founder level, uh, as well as Jonas, who is also from CTM, our COO, joined very early in the business and helped us essentially build the, the entire company from scratch. But of course, doesn't get as uh, much attention than I do from a media perspective. But I think it's important to make clear while I play this role and while, while I'm, I am being used for the company's face to the outside, um, that this is, uh, that doesn't diminish other person's uh, impact in the business and that it's not, uh, that I, I'm, that the success of Bisonio, uh, is not based on me, but rather also making clear that this is a team effort and I'm, I'm lucky to work, uh, with such a strong team and with people like, like Jonas, uh, Roman Asenia and the others of the executive team that have equally important roles, but just uh, a different focus of their role rather than that external facing um, yeah, element that, that is part of my role. Mm-hmm. And was it a sensitive issue to decide who gets which position on the executive board, especially the CEO role? I think in some companies that, that is a problem, especially also when it comes to initially deciding who is the CEO and, and who is that title and, uh, and so on. I think for us, that always was quite natural. We initially also had some discussions uh, we as a co-founders are on, on one level or is there a reporting structure and at mm-hmm. some point realized that it's just the best for the company and for our collaboration if, if they also report into me like, like the rest of the executive team uh, because then I can exactly have that overarching role. And I think from everything 
I hear from other companies that have more co-CEO or co-MD settings, I think there is a lot of conflict uh, often involved with that. And it just, uh, I personally believe this structure makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think for us, we didn't really have this as much of, the, uh, of a problem within the team. It came rather natural, um, but of course we still need to look out for occasions to also put further other people and, and their expertise and their, their work. Mm -hmm. So before founding Personio, you had another idea of a public speaking feedback tool called Feedback Me. Why did this journey end? I think one learning I made when starting Feedback Me and, uh, and developing it uh, and then compared to, to Personio, which we for a while also ran in parallel, was that with Feedback Me, we we also identified some kind of problem that it's hard for people gathering feedback in a public speaking setting. And that's true to actual talks, but also in university courses and so on. And uh, we also found a tool and technology to solve that. However, whenever uh, we would talk to people about that, it was always we had to explain the problem first, um, and, uh, then explain why we, what we're doing about that. And, and then there was kind of this, ah, yeah, okay, now I get it, kind of makes sense. The difference with Personio was going to HR managers and explaining them what we have built, so just our solutions, and uh, they would directly understand what the problems were and directly uh, realize how this makes their life easier, and they get, get uh, extremely excited without even me having to actually sell it initially. And uh, I think that was the realization we had, and I think what you can solve problems that people are not aware of, but it's much easier to build a successful business based on something people understand and directly get rather than you having to educate them about their problem first. Now, from starting a company to acquiring a company, Personio took over the Spanish startup Rollbox last year. Why was this decision made and how did you successfully integrate the acquired company? So we never had an M&A strategy and that was also not uh, something where we actively look out for um, back then or now. However, we had uh, realized our work uh, got introduced to that company uh, a while ago by some of, of their investors, which I knew as well. And uh, we then started uh, because they were quite synergetic to what we were doing with regards to building a payroll engine. And then we started uh, working with them more on a partnership basis. And on the one hand, uh, realized that there's a ton of potential from <clears throat> integrating and working more closely. Plus, uh, we really enjoy working with the team. However, we also realized that to make this partnership successful, we have to not just, uh, like it's hard to, to do that from to being two companies and integrating the systems only hyper-superficially. Plus, it's too important part of our product and offering if we want to go down the, the payroll route to have it done and depend on a partner in that field. And, and hence, uh, I kind of, we then happened to raise uh, a new round, our Series B, um, and then uh, going into or going into the first board meeting, I kind of had that, that idea, which I wanted to discuss with my board uh, around uh, that I think it makes sense to, to make an offer to acquire that company. And uh, then uh, the, the board was really excited and then was like kind of, uh, Yeah, understanding the potential as well. And then uh, on that the very same evening during the, the board dinner, I, I booked a flight to Madrid to visit uh, the guys and, and sit down with them uh, and discuss with them this idea. 
Um, and yeah, turned uh, turned out that after some convincing, uh, we managed to to get them on board. And uh, yeah, of course, there's a lot of work, and then integrating a company is super hard. Even though it was a only a very small company with only close to thirty people, and um, and despite it was only an, an engineering uh, hub, so it was also not our engineering team. So it wasn't really we had to we didn't have any redundancies or any double. Uh, double positions so a lot of things were easy about this acquisition nevertheless with culture with the two offices and so on there were also a lot of com uh, things that were really hard and where it took us quite some time to truly learn to, how to integrate them now taking these hard things into account i mean having two office locations certainly doesn't make it easier to align on mutual values right so how exactly did you merge both companies cultures so it is really important i believe to challenge what you do and not just say, okay, because we are the, the larger organization that they have to take on everything we do and have to adopt all of these things. So we tried uh, at least to, to figure out, okay, what are things we can take over, what are things we, we want to impose on them. Uh, I think from a lot of areas, they were excited to take on some of our structures and processes because they, they just had, hadn't developed them yet. Um, but when it came to our operating principles and core values, we in fact uh, kicked off a, a process also generally revisiting them as we also hadn't done that in a while and then also taking uh, into account people from their team we also established an employee advisory board which also consists of members from the spanish and madrid-based team and i think that that all helped to to grow the teams together um, but of course also adding new people that that kind of clue the teams together and are not it's so it's not anymore just a the X, X Rollbox and the X Sonio team, but there's now also people that used to work in Rollbox that work in Munich in the Munich office, the same way there's people that moved over to Madrid. And that I think also helped us really to, to clue the teams together. Talking about other startups, uh, you are invested in yeah, several um, startups, but also VC funds as business angel. How do you source your investments? Yeah, so first of all, uh, I, I did do uh, some investment indeed, but it's... Uh, My focus of 100% is, is Personio, and therefore I, I don't source any angel investments uh, at all. And uh, also, uh, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't want to do that. Uh, however, there is, of course, a lot of people approaching me um, at, uh, with regards to, to some, some learnings or ex exchange or introductions. And uh, then it sometimes happens that uh, these are people which, which I know uh, oftentimes from my time at CDTM or elsewhere, or I get a really warm introduction. And then uh, sometimes if, if I feel they, they do something really interesting and they are a great team, uh, I, I then also, uh, and I anyway, help them uh, already with some, some stuff. Then I also get a chance to invest and, uh, and then do that sometimes. It's typically a very gut feel-based decision, so I by no means uh, run any kind of process uh, with regards to evaluating them or doing a due diligence. I, either I like what they're doing and the team, and then I do a ticket, Or not, but also oftentimes, even though I do like some more teams, uh, I also constrain myself just to not get too distracted because there is, of course, a lot of overhead involved and Personio is by far the priority number one. And I mainly do this initial investment for the same reason. We benefited early on. We were bootstrapped for a while, but at the time of our seed round, we also took on some angels from the CDTM community and they tremendously helped us <clears throat> during that time. And uh, therefore, I think for me, it's just important to also try to provide uh, something back both in terms of learnings and introductions, but also in terms of, uh, of some, some capital uh, investing in companies early on. Um, but that's the main reason for doing it, not to yeah, 
make a lot of money with that or to distract myself spending a lot of time on that. Let's say I'm founding a company. What makes you eager to invest? I, re I really uh, don't want to promote myself as an, as an angel, uh, I think, because I, I don't want uh, more people reaching out uh, given that, that it, it, it does uh, add a distraction. So it's nothing which I, I do very actively. It's, it's oftentimes uh, happens just because I know the people or I get an introduction. So therefore, uh, it might happen, but it's, it's not something I look for actively or where I have certain criteria where people should reach out to talking about the future of businesses let's talk about your own future where do you see yourself in the next 10 years um it's a good question i think with the growth of personio and with our development my horizon of growing and leading that company or ambition to continue to grow and lead that company has definitely stretched from initially i thought i would do that five six seven years uh which by now we're already four and a half five years in And I can, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy the growth. I enjoy the role and the development I get out of it. But also, of course, the, the team I'm working with. And I can very well imagine doing that for, for a good bit longer and also growing and leading a, yeah, a public, uh, large public company. Uh, the one thing beyond that, I don't think, at least for now, can't foresee the future, but for now, I wouldn't plan to start another company. I would love to build Personio to really large and impactful company if i uh, were to do something else at some point i think one thing still going back to what i said very in the beginning of the interview around politics is still something that's really interested uh, interests me something i personally believe there's a lot of impact to be had and a lot of important stuff to be driven um, when it comes to climate change digitalization and other other topics and therefore that's something which uh, i could imagine at some point moving over into if there's an opportunity but for now for the foreseeable future uh, definitely continue to focus on Pisonio. Then I'd say we are really excited to follow your journey and see whether you will end up in politics. Now, before we wrap it up, we are curious to know which specific tools you love to use, so to say your toolbox. Starting with the first question straight away, what is your current favorite book? Um, one book I've, I've read fairly recently uh, is Trailblazer. It's uh, written by the founder of Salesforce, and uh, he describes how businesses should have an impact well beyond just uh, their customers and their employees, but also on society and environment. And that's one thing which I, it's very true, dear to, to myself as well, talking about politics, and hence um, that's something which I really enjoyed reading. And what's your favorite app that helps you to stay productive? It's not an app, but it's a setting within Android. I think that's the same for Or uh, uh, I think that's the same for iPhone as well, but it's uh, about exact, uh, not adding more apps, but restricting the use of apps. So I've been um, setting, uh, setting myself very clear rules. I think I, I never had any problems using social media too much. I, I hardly use any of these social media apps. I don't have them on my phone anyway, but uh, I, I was very addicted to reading news apps and just spending time in, in various random uh, apps as well. And so I've, I've been applying a lot of these in, 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 in Android, they call it digital well-being uh, settings uh, to reduce the amount I, I pick off the phone and uh, reduce the amount I actually spend, spend time in certain apps. So I don't recommend any new apps, but rather to get rid of as many as you can. Reach Digital Minimalism, it's also a great book that helps you uh, declutter from a lot of apps you don't need and then uh, focus on things you can do outside. Uh -huh. Dan, what's a newsletter you would recommend us to subscribe to? 
I try to unsubscribe from any kind of newsletter and get rid of of any newsletters. I think the the most used uh, combination I do within Superhuman, the email app I use, is is the report spam to make sure I don't get too many emails. So I I would have never subscribed to a newsletter. I think the only newsletter I receive is from our HR team once a month, uh, updating about. Uh, new joiners and a bunch of other things we do but uh, and our product newsletter of course which i can highly recommend for hr people but i don't think it's interesting for anyone else and last but not least what's your current favorite podcast or podcast episode um so i, I listen a lot uh, to Econ the economist and, and it's not a podcast but to the i have my subscription there and I listen to just a lot of the articles um, i think in addition the one podcast i do listen uh, fairly regular to is steingart's morning briefing And that's, uh, yeah, I think fairly broad, but, but also a bit political podcast that is quite interesting because he adds, has, uh, interviews a couple of interesting people from politics, economics, business and other places. That one I listen to oftentimes in the morning. Great, Dan, that's a wrap. It was really a pleasure to have you on the first episode of Mostly Awesome and picking up on your personal growth and leadership style. So thanks for joining us, Hanno. No problem. Thanks for having me. 